0: Welcome, Play On Podcast listeners. My name is Nano Taggart, your host. Along with our producer, Joe Nemro, we're excited to bring you a special episode of deleted sections from our past Play On Podcast interviews this summer season at the Utah Shakespeare Festival. Unfortunately, we've had to cut some of our conversations to fit our limited time. Today, you'll hear some excerpts from our conversations with Brian Vaughn, Brad Carroll, Grant Goodman and Quinn Matfield, and Henry Warnitz and Steve Voitage. This first excerpt is an uncut selection from our conversation with actor, director, artistic director Brian Vaughn. We discussed acting in musicals and whether a non-singing actor should consider a musical. Brian Vaughn answers the question of whether or not he considers himself a singer. Is is there a different sort of uh, vulnerability in being a, a performer that's not just delivering lines but also singing? Is that? It seems like you've gotten more comfortable with with singing on stage over the years and with the role of John Valjean kind of really, you know, stepping into it. But is, is it, was that uh was that a, a big development to, yeah. to get there, do you think? Yeah,
1: you know, I've always been a uh Javert, that's what it is. Yeah, that's Javert, right. yeah, that's Javert. Right. Oh, my bad. Uh, no, that's okay. sort of well. Yeah. You'll let me. Javert. Uh yeah, you know, I've always been a huge musical theater fan actually. Yeah. And uh I grew up on it. Oddly, when I was a high school student, like one of my favorite musicals, interesting, was like uh-huh. West Side Story. And cool. because I loved um, the elements, I think, of bridging Shakespeare into a musical form. Right. And also is kind of a song and dance musical. Yeah. But it's also a dramatic musical that deals with story and, and characters. And, and I was just really sort of drawn by that. And I think that's sort of my sort of affinity for west side story when i was a uh, kid i think sort of infused my way of thinking about drama and so i've always been kind of a a, you know a huge musical theater nerd uh in the greatest sense of the word because i just find them so challenging and yet um also very rewarding Mm -hmm. um and it's an interesting genre a different form and it is a diff- as an actor it is also i am not really a singer per se i don't really count myself as a <laughs> singer i've always found myself as an actor who sings yeah but the more i do it more and more i'm really interested in that element of of what the nature of the song is in the work and mm-hmm. you know people say that all the time what what propels a character then to launch into song at a certain moment and a certain mm-hmm. peak within in the story and it's um,
0: it's tricky because we don't. It is you know, in our day to day lives. I don't often find myself, you know, belting it out. <laughs> I've
1: seen you roaming the halls here at <laughs> offices. Come on, tapping away. Uh,
0: it's it's challenging though, right? You got to pull that off. Like we're gonna go into song now, and I'm yeah, I'm still the same character. Um, yeah, you know? exactly,
1: and do it in a way that it's not pulling you out of the play, but it's mm-hmm. propelling the play forward. Um, and depending on the type of music, the genre, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a song and dance show or more. You know, sondheim driven you know, story-driven, character-driven musical. All that stuff is just really finding the way amongst that is yeah. like adding another layer on top of that. On the talent side of things, you yeah, know, yeah. and I know, I mean, I know a lot of actors who are really scared of musicals. Actually, um, having now been the casting director for some time and mm-hmm. talking to a lot of Shakespeare actors, and we're a company where we do musicals, we do contemporary American drama, we do Shakespeare. And we look for a company of actors who can kind of fall with a within. little bit of everything. Yeah, they yeah. need to have a great wheelhouse of, of of talent. But I know a lot of actors who are like, you would not catch me singing <laughs> in a musical. <laughs> I've you never
0: know. seen David sing. Come and he's got of... a great voice. He's yeah. Sing, yeah,
1: he's sung in a couple of shows. Okay. I've, I've actually seen him in a musical in Denver at the Denver Center. Cool. But you know, and I think it's just the vulnerability of uh-huh. them standing there having to sing is something that is very nerve-wracking for a lot of people. Mm. And what I tell a lot of actors is to say that you don't sing or that you don't do musicals is a terrible idea because there's always maybe one or two characters in a musical that don't sing. Yeah. And to know that you're trying to get work as an actor, that's what you want to do, is the idea of doing, continually doing, finding more work. To yeah. say that I don't do them
2: uh-huh. just puts
1: you sort of in a box over in the corner that is also you know, uh, preventing you from a lot of other opportunities. So I always say try to get versed in musicals. And there have been some amazing musical performers who don't have necessarily the greatest voices in the world, yeah. but they're able to convincingly tell the story with commitment.
0: Mm-hmm. And there might not know. be a you know an operatic technical perfection, but they're able to use their voices as an instrument.
1: Yeah, absolutely, right? absolutely. Yeah. And you know obviously those that do both of that really well Mm -hmm. it's you know they're all over the place and
0: that is sort of the mainstream uh, threat of of theater to a lot of people that was musicals it seems like three out of every four super successful productions is a musical these days you know for better or worse so I can see what you're saying where you don't want to limit yourself
1: yeah no and it's I mean it's an amazing genre it's and it's an American genre I mean we I think uh, as far as American Mm -hmm. theater history the musical comedy came, Rogers and Hammerstein, you know, they sort of paved the way with Oklahoma and, yeah. well, was the Showboat before it. But uh, that is really kind of an American form that sprung out of vaudeville. And mm-hmm. um, I, so I do think that there is a little bit of affinity with that within our culture uh, yeah. here. In, um, but you're right. And um, they're often. The ones that, you know, people are always thinking about the lay Miz before they're thinking about mm-hmm. Henry the Fourth, Part One. Yeah. And they kind of go hand in hand. That's the amazing thing about it as yeah. far as the content and the story. Yeah. Uh, just one is in song and one is in verse. Verse. There's, there's a music. <laughs> Which is a form Either of way. music. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Next, we have director and musical composer Brad Carroll discussing several subjects. His career as a teacher in higher education... His advice for people considering a career in the theater. And lastly, he tells the story of how he got the director job for Les Miserables in Utah Shakespeare Festival's 2012 season. Do you like teaching? You've I do. Yeah. yeah. What's it like uh, teaching undergraduate students to, you know, or directing an undergraduate performance compared to. Well.
3: They're they in the learning process, you know, and they come into the university system or you know, you know or going into the conservatory system at PCPA. Yeah, there's a much more rigorous uh, audition process to get in because yeah. it's a, it's a it's a really you know you're you're there from nine o'clock in the morning till eleven o'clock every night. You can't hold down a job. I mean, it's a conservatory. You're yeah. there to do this. You know, university, kids have jobs, kids come in with different skill levels because of experience they had in school, yeah. in high school and stuff. And it's, and it's negotiating that. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think the hardest thing about being a teacher and or not hardest, but the most challenging thing is learning how to talk to each individual as opposed to just blanketly stating mm-hmm. things and assuming it's going to land on everybody in the same way. Yeah. You know, directing, that's the most challenging thing about directing, is spending those first several days just trying to suss everybody out yeah. and figure out how their mind works so you can best
0: communicate with them, yeah. which may be completely different than the other guy. person next to them, You know. Because you can't get through this job without at least some connection with people. Right. Right? The humanities and the arts sort of put pressure on people yeah. to develop connections. Yeah, exactly. That's part of the magic. And, you know, and then,
3: and, you know, y- as young students, a lot of them are resistant to, you know, cross that line. And yeah, It's been interesting. Even in the two years I've been here, seeing people who, when I first met them, were resisting. And in the course of two yeah. years, figured out what a joy it
0: is Yeah,
3: to cross the line into
0: just exposing themselves, exposing yeah. their souls, because that's ultimately what it's about. Vulnerability. Yeah. Right. How do you, what do you say to someone that maybe is at that precipice you just described? You know, they've taken some theater classes and they're not sure they want to dedicate their life to this, having to move around a lot, and, right. you know, to make it work. How well, do you, how mean, do you, it's a, you know, encourage people, but at the same time make their expectations realistic?
3: Yeah, it's, well, I tell people, I, you know, as students especially, I say, well, trust me, once you cross that line, uh-huh. if you like it, yeah, you won't ever go back. Uh-huh. You know, and if you don't like it, there's no honor lost in choosing to do something else. Yeah. You know, I mean, this you've got to have a little, uh, some metal uh-huh. to be able to do this. And I, I mean, I also tell them that uh, the key to, you know, they say, what's the key to success? I say sticking to it. Yeah. There's no magic pill. You don't get a Broadway show and are suddenly a success for the rest of your life. Uh-huh. If you get a Broadway show, it means you've got a Broadway show until it closes or yep. until you get fired or until you yeah. decide to move on. You know what I mean? There yep. is no, there's no arrival point.
0: Yeah. It's always an ongoing process. It's incredible. Overwhelming. It's got to yeah. be for someone looking at this as their, as and, their future. And
3: you've got to, ha- you know, the drive. And and the, obviously the love of it.
0: There's that famous line. carries you. The famous line is quit if you can. Yeah. Right? And so if you can quit, you probably should because yeah. you need to not even have it in the realm of possibility that you could not do this forever. Exactly, yeah. Right. If there's something else you think you should be doing or you would
3: rather be doing, yeah. you should go do it. Awesome. And that's okay. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> You'll be an audience member, right? Yeah, and that's we need good. those people. We do need these people. You know. Um, before we wrap up, uh, we talked a lot about you've been involved with the festival now for a number of years. Uh, I w- was wondering maybe if you could Tell a story from your time here. Um, <laughs> you can tell lots of stories. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe something about Les Mis. It was such a success, as you know. Yeah, that was
3: that was quite a, a pinnacle. You know. Yeah. I mean, first of all, how, you know, how often do you get asked to direct Les Mis? Yeah. Because you know, it's been it's been held onto for so long. Once mm-hmm. it was finally released. Yeah. Well, the great story about Les Mis is we were supposed to be doing we had scheduled to be doing um, the Drowsy Chaperone. Yeah which is about an hour and 20 minutes long without an intermission. This oh. hilarious musical comedy right up my alley. And I was really looking forward to it. And we'd already had our first round of meetings and designs were happening and, you know, uh-huh. and lots of conversations with designers were happening. And they get a, a phone call from Brian Vaughn one day saying, uh, dude, <laughs> <laughs> we got the rights to Les Mis. Oh, you know? wow. Because the festival had been on a waiting list, right? Been, a, Yeah. For and, and 10 when, years? A long, a long time. time. Yeah. And then the call came from MTI out of the blue. And said wow. it, I believe the call was, if you don't pick it up for this summer, you have to wait until 2016, I think it was. Oh, my goodness. Um Because there's a, a whole bunch. You know, Pioneer wanted to do it, and, and Utah Festival Opera wanted yep. to do it. They're doing it this summer. Um. And Brian said, do you? You want to do it? <laughs> you know, and again, I had to sort of process, okay, here's a play that's twice as long uh-huh. as the one we had scheduled.
0: I can't say no, but oh my goodness. Right, yeah. so many more
3: people, so many more, so much more everything. And uh-huh. I said, well, Brian, of course I want to do it. How often do you get offered the chance to directly miss? Yeah. And then we had to scramble a bit to, to, to get caught up to keep the design process on, on task. Yeah, And... um. We weren't able to pull everybody together, so it ended up being a phone meeting, and uh, and uh, one of the uh, – Joe Winarski, who designed the set for it, mm. I had done several projects with, so we already had a vocabulary, and then a couple of uh, – the costume designer I'd never worked yeah. with, Kevin, and, and uh, Jamie Smith, who did lights, I also never worked with, but knew of – so we just started throwing ideas on the table, you know, and it's Le Mis, and the great expectation with Le Mis is yeah. the, the big turntable. And they yeah. said, do we want to do that? And I said, I'd rather not. Oh, wow. Because we've been watching it done that way for 25 years. Why don't we reinvent it for us? That was sort on, of the on idea, the right? Stage. The people yeah. that are
0: singing involved in the action are on the turntable. Yeah, and, and the rest and of the cast is just sort of peripheral.
3: Yeah, and the turntable is great for delivering scenery, but mm-hmm. I mean, basically, my thing about a turntable is it just goes around and around and around. Yeah. And once you've sort of seen it do its tricks, Yeah. you've seen it. And I said, I think there are other ways of handling scenery moving and people moving, yeah. and we can be, you know, not more creative, but differently creative and i think what we came up with was stunning it was incredible to, to to look at and worked and didn't did, we didn't lose any time uh-huh with not having a big mechanical thing there to bring scenery to us yeah we found other ways of doing it and and, and to do that play on the rehearsal schedule that we're on here
0: is insane when you're already uphill because you've lost several weeks and yeah production meetings but again like we do here everybody came together the cast came in you know
3: and as much much on their toes as mm-hmm. they could be yeah you know and and the music went together really quickly and we just staged and staged and staged and staged and staged <laughs> and still managed to get a couple of run throughs in the in the in the rehearsal space yeah before we moved into to tech and and the barricade and all of those things and yeah. some of the tricks and so it was it was hard work but it was rewarding work you know i think i I think the reception
0: of the audience unbelievable tells you everything you need to know right Unbelievable! i think i spoke to people that saw that play five times yeah Uh, honest to goodness it's incredible people just loved it and they a lot of people mentioned uh, exactly what you said like you know no turntable Mm
4: -hmm. things
0: moving on and off the stage in in a different way well and and another thing
3: here that a lot of people talked about i mean i went to a lot of the um, talkbacks in the grove was, I mean, practically everybody has seen Les Mis, but most people have seen it from the balcony of some gigantic theater. theater. And what they said was, the story seemed clearer to them. And I said, I think that's just because you were closer to it. You know, even yeah. in the most distant seat we have, you're still closer to the stage than you are if you're sitting in the back row of the orchestra seats yeah. in a in a 2,500 seat house. Yeah. So yeah. there was an intimacy here that a lot of people had not experienced with the play, because not everybody can afford to drop 250 bucks for a third row seat. Yeah. You know, on Broadway or on tour or whatever. Mm-hmm. So. I thought that was really interesting, that people who thought they knew this play inside and out yeah. discovered new things about it just because of their proximity in the Randall Theater. That's cool. And that was a great thing to, for them, for us. So you got to bring that to people, yeah. essentially, right?
0: Yeah. Well, and it's a great, powerful story. It know? really is, yeah. There's a reason it's, it's lasted so a- many absolutely. years. Absolutely. Yeah. Actors Quinn Matfield and Grant Goodman were so fun to have as guests on the podcast. If you haven't yet had the chance, you should listen to that episode. In this outtake, they discuss working with a director who also co adapted Jane Austen's Sense and Sensibility for Theater. Grant shares how director Joe Hanready used the text of Jane Austen's novel to help the actors pull off his original adaptation. Very cool. Is there, you mentioned Joe Hanreddy who is who directed the play, and he was also the co adapter with uh, Sullivan. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, any specific challenges or quirks in? in acting for a director that kind of has all the answers i mean a lot of directors it's kind of open i mean i'm not saying joseph's sure. not open or collaborative sure. but you know he kind of he spent so much time with the text adapting it that he's got he's got to have an answer for everything and right? i think
2: and i think well yeah and i think it's i think it's lovely <laughs> you know we gotta, that means that he got to be really specific the other yeah. cool thing though is that he was able to like there's a lot of the language that because of the rehearsal process mm-hmm. is now different. Uh, because oh, cool. I, I, you know, we could come up to him and go, hey, this thing, I feel like if we put this here, it might be funny. I feel like if we put this here, we can avoid a laugh where we don't want one. Yeah. Uh, and so we got to kind of uh, adapt the script with Joe, and mm-hmm. he sort of said, yeah, this will. I think this will work better. Or, uh, And he was really open to doing that. So it was nice for him to have such a clear idea of what would work that when we suggested changes, he would know immediately whether or not that was going to fly. And yeah, yeah. for the most part, he was really... Uh, you know, and I, I think to his credit, he was just really, really excited for us to to yeah. to uh, facilitate the story even more with a little bit of language changes and stuff like that. So I, I thought, you know, his specificity really paid off in terms of the way we ended up telling the story, which is great. But he was also able to go within that structure that I have. I can you know. He knows yeah, how yeah. to let us play, and he was able to play as well. He's
4: so open to changing things and helping things along. I remember at the first read-through, of course, as actors, we love to do research. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, In Shakespeare, you have a wealth of materials Mm -hmm. uh, to look at, all different uh, versions with lots of different notes. And Joe held up the novel, and he said, I like to think of this as 400 pages of explanatory notes. (laughs) (laughs) And and so we would go back to the novel and find things and tweak things and say, well, actually, it's this way in the novel. um, And Joe could say, "Well, I, I changed that on purpose, or maybe that's better dialogue. Um, but uh, I, I, I think it's an amazing adaptation, and he was, yeah, he was always open to, mm-hmm. to changing things.
0: That's very. It says a lot to answer to.
4: It's it's also great too that I'll say this about Joe, he, and, and this is why he's he's the perfect man for for directing Jane Austen. Um, is he's always got his mind and eye on the emotional through line of mm-hmm. a play. Mm-hmm. He's so good about that. He has a laser-like focus on, cool. on what that means for the lead characters, and um, so having that in mind, that it, it's like having a great, super objective. You know, he, he, he's yeah. very good at, at yeah. keeping, keeping an eye on that.
2: And he was really good too. I mean, he's so he's such a smart guy, and he knows. The difference, uh, I mean, it it sounds simple, but I don't think it is. I mean, you think he really understands the difference between the way a story is told in a novel and the way it is on stage. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And that he was great about, you know, he and Jim, uh, of course, were so great about taking... That novel and pu- and finding a way to put it on stage. I think removing the narration is just a, a brilliant choice, and they managed to get you know so much yeah. information in there through dialogue, which is a really oh, it's so
4: tricky so to imagine yeah. to say well that we don't have dialogue for this moment in this play. What would these two characters say to one? Yeah, yeah, that is that th- there's such an art there. Yeah, uh, and the other s- thing too is that I, I was I think we were all surprised. That when we got it up and got it in front of an audience, just how funny it was. Mm-hmm. And I, I think Joe and Jim knew that from the get-go that in ways that we didn't even know how well it was going to play. Yeah. yeah.
0: Lastly, we want to share a bit of our discussion with Henry Warnitz and Steve Voitage right before we formally started the interview. Do they think typecasting is bad for an actor, and do casting directors intentionally typecast? Listen in. You feel right. loomed up for the show? Yeah. Cool. yeah. Okay. I know you're probably tired of doing interviews. I just talked to Steve and talkbacks. He does a of... lot more than I do. <laughs> no, it's because he's only doing what he They want the hot young guys. You know, <laughs> <laughs> well, I haven't learned how to say no yet. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. I haven't learned that either. Can you give me some advice on how to yeah, say, say no? Say no. Yeah, when you do a good job I'm, at anything. I'm
5: already booked. <laughs> yes. it's, it's that simple. I'm Already booked. Oh, <laughs> <Okay>. already booked.
0: <laughs> right on. Uh, I'm great admirers of both your work. Uh, it's hard to believe you're the same dude that played kind of an understated Prospero last year, and then seeing you as Falstaff, just incredible. What a range! Sure, thank you. Great work, it's, fun, and it's great fun. It's I just told Steve he's got this intensity that just like <laughs> jumps off the stage, yeah. like he, you know. That's what they
5: hire me to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, I there's don't. an old saying in, in the business that you kind of find out what it is. What's your tomato that you're selling, you know, and you kind of stick with that. So, you know, I have this beard and stuff, and so I do those kind of guys, and Steve is young, you know, vibrant guy, so he, he's, he's going to be doing those th- guys for a while. Right, it's on. nice for him also to do Angelo. I mean, that's a great rep yeah. to do. Yeah, it Angela, is. Cause that's Thank not, you, Asher. You know, you might think of Angelo as a different kind of physical type or something, but uh-huh. it's great. Yeah. Yeah, somebody at a talkback was asking me, no, or do you feel like you're typecast given the kinds of characters that I play? And I joke about that, you know. Yeah. They're not particularly nice to women or people in general. <laughs> uh, Demetrius go, and Mortimer. Going back and, to what I've seen you hear. Yeah. yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Uh, Angelo. Are you cool um, with that? Or are you... Yeah, but, it, well, I, I said at the time, I was like, you to only talk about typecasting when you don't want to do it. When somebody's like, oh, I'm typecast. And because you're looking at another role and you're like, I wish I could do that, but I don't feel like that with any of the stuff I play. And I've been cool. so grateful and happy and excited to play these dudes. Yeah. In particular, this year. I mean, Angelo yep. and Hotspur. Those are two. Bucket list roles. Even doing yeah. one of them would be amazing. Never mind being the book. real truth about that. What Steve is talking about is that you people are types. Uh huh. You know, and you know, and we have particularly with classical plays like yeah. you know, any of the ones we're doing here at the Shakespeare Festival, people have ideas of what Hamlet is going to look like, yep. or what you know, uh, what anybody, what Prosper's going to look like, what Hotspur going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. and, and part of that comes from what they do in the text you know Hotspur is a hot-headed guy. Yeah. And and a tough and a good fighter and all that stuff which Steve brings to that in spades. You know, he can just he taps into that really nicely. Yeah. So the truth is that we of course you typecast to some degree. Well, cause, what, yeah, what these, we as yeah, actors yeah. don't want to do is get stuck in a type mm-hmm. over and over. Which and is and what over, television yeah. does to you. You know, television and yeah. film can do that to you really badly because yeah. that's that's what people see. It's hard to leave. Yeah
0: that face once yeah. you put it on a little But bit. even
5: in the theater, you know, we, we say, well, we don't typecast in theater, but you do to an extent. Well, you
0: know? especially in classic theater, like you're saying, because these roles have all become archetypes because they're so revered. Thanks for listening to this special Outtakes episode. We would love it if you, our supportive listeners, would send us your comments about how we did this summer season. We would be grateful if you would copy the link to our survey in the description of this episode into your internet browser. It should only take a moment or two to complete. The survey is also linked on the homepage of the podcast in the news and media section of the Utah Shakespeare Festival website. We want to continue to make this a fun and informative show. Remember to tune in next week for more conversations with fall season directors, designers, and actors.